Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We have a routine where when I'm in LA at my house, Lucy comes and she stays the night with me because I can't sleep alone in my house. Yeah, we have a weekly rendezvous. <laughs> yeah. Um, I we... call it Wednesdays with Annabelle. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> I love that. But I need a bottle of wine to get through it. Oh my god. Just kidding. Me. I love it. I love our Wednesdays. I know. I love it so much. It's like a highlight for me. Yeah. Of the week. And it's also really good for me because I would otherwise just stay locked away. Yeah. And avoid people and friends and coming to my house. You know, it's, I'm trying to kind of, I don't want to say desensitize myself to my house, but. I guess it is kind of that. Like, I just don't... At first, for the first month and a half, like, I could barely even be here. It was too painful to even be here. Of course. Obviously, because Ryan and Max and I lived here together. Yeah. So I've been staying with family a lot. But these Wednesdays have been really good. It's, like, given me a routine. It's given me something to stick to, to focus on, to look forward to, you know. And as you have experienced, sort of inner circle comes over... I say inner circle because I don't want to say pod and I don't want to say, you know, whatever. But it's like the homies that yeah, were here every day before everything went down. And your closest friends. Yeah, like, and, you know. That all, were best friends with Ryan and Max. Yeah. And they were also with you when they passed. Yeah. You guys spent all that time together when it first happened. And they've been showing up for you every week here at the house and... Like you said, you don't want to allow this place to become mm. a bad memory. Yeah, I really or, do. Or a sad memory. Yeah. And you wanted to fill it with laughter and new memories mm. and people. And And while I don't think I'm going to stay in this house necessarily, no. I just didn't want to leave it. As a sad, empty show. Yeah, like having had it been such a place of just joy and creativity and love and friendship while we were all here together, me and the boys and all of our friends every day making music and working on our companies and projects. And I didn't want to leave this house with it being with them here and then grieving them. And then the last memories here to be about crying and pain and sadness when that's not what the point of this house was. The reason we all moved in together was because of COVID. We figured we're gonna be in this COVID situation for a year, so why not get a big house? put a studio in it and we have like social life built in because there'll be three of us here we have a studio built in because we're not going to studios and recording we have room to make content we have a yard we have space for our friends to come over this place was just about that and it was about community and creativity and love and happiness and friendship I refuse to leave it as anything other than that you know, luckily or luckily, not maybe not luckily, maybe because we've all tried and everyone feels the same way. The boys have been coming here in the daytime when I'm not here or, you know, they come and do sessions and they record and they practice in the studio and they'll come up here and sit and have tea. And, you know, that's what I want. I want for them to be able to come here and feel like they're spending time with the boys or just being in the space and around you know, while Max's things aren't here anymore, it's mine and Ryan's stuff here. He's very much here. Oh, His yeah. energy is here, you know, and when we're all here together, it feels like they're here. And I think that it's been really nice to have almost like a church, like a place that we can go and be with them and be with each other. And so that's been really important process for me and I was being too hard on myself before being like I need to get to the point where I can stay in the house alone and like it's really important that I do that and it's not no it just isn't like especially if I'm not going to stay here the plan was never for me to be here alone ever right so why would you why would I all of a sudden but for the last two months until a week ago yeah I was hell-bent on the fact that 
in order for me to heal and move forward and grow, I have to do this thing. I have to be able to make it through the night alone. And no, it's I, bullshit. I, I don't think that's important at all. I think you're right. It's, it has been a healing like a church for all of us. It's been really healing for me. Good. You know, in the beginning when we started having our Wednesdays, it was definitely scary for me to be here. And I kept thinking, why? They didn't die in the house. Yeah. Why would it be scary for you? Yeah. But they're so here. Yeah. And I know that obviously one of our friends, Alex, said to me the other day, like, it feels really good to be here. I think he said this to me last week. It feels really good to be here now. It doesn't feel like a mausoleum anymore. Yeah. It doesn't feel sad anymore. It doesn't feel sad anymore. And it was at first. At first, it felt like, and this is brutal and shocking, and I'm sorry to anyone this upsets our friends, it felt like a museum of death in here. You know, in that first week, Max's family came within a week, and they wanted to be in the space and see where he lived, and they also came to take his things back to Chicago. And during that time that that was happening and that a lot of people were coming and going through the house, it did feel... And not because of the family being here taking things. It was just something about the energy of that time. Like, there was constantly new people coming and going. Like, I had to be with somebody all the time. At that time, I couldn't even sit in a room alone for five minutes or two seconds, let alone be here alone. So people were taking turns looking after me. But it really, it felt like an open casket. And yeah, I the think procession that, walking by to exactly, take a look. Exactly, exactly. And people were coming through, and it felt it felt very important to people to come here, which I find really, really interesting, and is not something I've personally experienced before. I haven't experienced wanting to do that, mm. and I've also not experienced in losing somebody the real strong urge for people to come and be in the space, which is what has happened here. People have felt an urge to come and be in the space. I don't know what that's about and I'm sure I may never know and you know it's not something I've spent a huge amount of time sort of dissecting it's something I'll get to I think it's a nice thing like we said it's like church people want to come and feel the energy yeah because they know that what was going on here was great yeah and good and people were having fun and it was laughter every day and community and music and it was I'll probably get emotional something to talk about this but as a musician and an artist, you grow up with these ideals about what your life's going to be like. And I think for all of us, seeing and hearing the stories about Laurel Canyon is one of the things that, for me growing up, is like the most magical thing I can imagine. Yeah, a canyon of artists. You're searching, you're searching for your Laurel Canyon. Yeah, and I feel like as an artist, whether you know it or not, I didn't even know it until I had it. I had been searching for my Laurel Canyon and my community and we were at a place here at this house where the boys would turn up, knock on the door with their guitar, I've got an idea, let's do vocal group, can we go through this? Like, We had somehow magically come into this house and it was like we had our own little Laurel Canyon. Mm. And it was a dream come true. And I think it was for everyone, not just those of us living here, but the people that were visiting. I mean, you came on many occasions and there was a magic here. Yeah. And I think that that's what is drawing people to want to come through and spend time here and be in the studio and be in the house and absorb the space is because there was some kind of magic here. Yeah, there was. And my my piano being down there in the studio really made me feel like I was part of it. Yeah, you were. Not just because of that, but because... You were here every week. Yeah. It's a good place, and we have definitely filled it with a lot of love in the last month. Yeah. In the last couple months. How's this last week been for you since we saw each other last um, last Wednesday? So last Wednesday, those two days, that day that we recorded, was a really like heavy grief day for me from like the moment I woke up that morning. Yeah, that took a lot out of us. Yeah, and then driving here, doing the podcast. It was just, when you wake up in the morning, when you're experiencing this, I wake up in the morning and I open my eyes and I think, what is today going to be like? Because I don't know when I first wake up. When I first wake up, I feel neutral. 
and it takes me a few moments to acclimate and it's almost like when I sit up onto the bed the feelings drop in or something Mm. and it's like is it a strong day am I going to be laying in bed today Mm. am I physically tired you know as we've discussed the tiredness from grief is unlike any other tiredness I've ever felt in my life it's not I've been exhausted, you've been exhausted, you've toured and you know what that life is, you know that exhaustion you can feel in your bones, Mm -hmm. like you want to cry. It's somehow deeper than that and some days I wake up and I feel like that and I'm tired, Um, you know, and some days I wake up and I feel strong and I feel myself and those two days, the day that we recorded and the next day were really heavy for me and we had nice moments definitely during that day and the gang came over and we did dinner and some people came over for tea in the morning some more people that were that part of the group and I had a really nice day in the house but there just I was it was heavy I felt heavy Mm. I was really grieving Ryan I was missing Ryan and sometimes Ryan feels really close by to me and the wound feels really really open I opened the cupboard and there's all his clothes there, you know, and his little shoes. And I like to check the cupboard every time I come here. I don't know what it's about. It's like a compulsion. Like, I have to check the cupboard. It, it's to remind myself. I, I don't know what it's about. And I touch the jackets, you know, and I feel the collar and I hold the cuff and... I guess it's It's like the closest thing you can get to him. I can't touch him. Because those things touched his skin. Yeah. I smell them. I put the jacket in my face. And it's so crazy. Like, it still smells like him. Yeah. I just don't understand how it can still smell like him. (laughs) Do you think when you move to a new place or spend time in England again, you'll take his clothes and set them up in a closet? No, the way they are? I won't do that. Like how Queen Victoria laid out <laughs> Prince Albert's clothes for every day for the rest of her life. You want to. Yeah. You want to do that. You want to leave everything like it was. You know, you want to... Not move on Yeah. from the way that he had it. Yeah. And the way that he liked it. Right. Do you think you'll keep his clothes forever? Yeah. Maybe yeah. not all of them. I mean, why wouldn't you? I think not all of I them. I think I would. I would. I'll keep. I definitely think I would. A lot of the clothes for sure. forever. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Give them to your son someday. <laughs> yeah, or, or you know, just it's hard to think of forever right now. I yeah. can barely even think. I know. About next week, <laughs> like, let alone forever. I know that, like, all of his t-shirts, I'll keep, and his jackets, and. He loved his shoes. You could always tell what kind of mood he was in by what shoes he put yeah, on. Yeah, last day. week you took me through his shoes and you were telling me, yeah. you know, how he felt when yeah. I, I was holding shoes up to you and going, How did he feel when he wore these? And you were going, He felt silly when he wore those, or he felt lost or lost or confused when he wore roll, these. Or he felt conservative yeah. and serious and he it was felt- a bit of a grumpy day. and you know, you could really tell what his mood was by his shoes. Yeah. And I think for that reason, I will find it really hard to get rid of the shoes. Yeah. And I think I'll probably end up keeping most of them. I it's, think you should, yeah. It's so hard to think about throwing a single thing away, even stupid things like that robot vacuum thing. Yeah. It's stuff like that. I'm just like, well, I, I don't want to throw that away. Ryan got that for me and I... Just stupid shit. Like, there are empty bottles up on the bar, and I don't want to throw them away. I understand that. I can see how that would be what your brain wants to do. But having said that, last week, there were a couple things that have sat around that I threw away. Not personal items of his, just like in the shower, there was a used razor that he had taken the head off to replace a new head on the razor head sat there and while I'm not ready to move his shaving kit from the shower I am ready to take that razor head and put it in the bin yeah and it is amazing how something as simple as moving a razor head from the side of the bath and putting it in the bin can feel like the biggest most exhausting painful thing that I could do in a day it's because it punches you in the gut every little layer of 
stuff that you peel away is painful, you know, and that's why when people say to me, like, oh, are you going to stay in the house? I'm not ready to let go of the house yet because I'm not ready to let go. And I know that once the house is closed, where do we all go? Where do we all meet and where do we all sit in it? And Do you think you feel a responsibility to stay in the house because of all of us? There definitely is that. I definitely feel a responsibility. I also know that wherever I go, you can create that I again. will create that again. And I think that's one of Take the things. Your Laurel Canyon with yeah, you. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that has begun to kind of reveal itself to me is yeah. like, the boys and you, you're not coming here to sit in a house. Mm-mm. No. It's to be exactly. together. Right, exactly. And we can be together anywhere. Yeah. Wherever we go, Max and Ryan, they'll be with us wherever mm-hmm. we go, whether we're here or living in New Zealand. They will be with us. That spirit is shared between us and wherever we are all together, we're going to get that feeling because it's not just about the house and it's not about the material items and it's not about Ryan's chair and his place at the table. Yeah, Ryan's place at the table is there forever regardless of what table we're in, in what country, wherever we are. I think what you're saying is really powerful. I think it makes me just realize that you can take your you know you said it as laurel canyon our listeners will put it into their own meaning for them personally mm. but you can take that sacred core yeah. with that home you yeah can, you can create that home everywhere yeah and you never need to feel like you know i got evicted or i lost my house or mm. i lost everything so i'm lost no no you can create how, it. Yeah. it it's in you yeah absolutely with the people that you love and or if you have no one, you know, it's still inside of yeah. you and you can always start over Yeah. wherever you go. And I mean, just to be clear, I'm not getting evicted in case anyone's worrying. I'm not getting evicted. I'm fine. When you get evicted next month, you know, you can just take it with you. <laughs> My landlord's had enough. She's like, get out. I'm sick of your shit. Sick of you crying on the yeah. stoop. <laughs> um, so... You spent time away from the house yeah, with your family this Barbara, week. Yeah, I love to be. It's very... And even though you were trying to, you know, recharge and be away from people, you still managed to have a run-in with a very... Oh, you just couldn't wait to talk about it. <laughs> exciting someone <laughs> who we should probably talk about. <laughs> who did you uh, spend some time with this week? on the beach you're so funny okay so sarah and i my sister sarah and i went for a little walkies along the beach and we went to a different beach than we would usually go to i'm not going to say which one but we went to a different beach we were walking along and there was a hunky man that walked by us and i was like giggling because sarah was looking at him and you know he just he looked like an actor or a supermodel or something, but he had a hat on and glasses. What kind of hat? But he just looked cool. He had that energy about him. You know, when you see someone who's just like, you're like, wow, like, who's that? They have an air. Yeah. What kind of hat was it? It was just a baseball cap. Eh. Ew. No, no, it was cute. Okay. It was cute. Yeah, it was I'll let cute. It slide. Yeah, yeah, it was cute. And I was like giggling because Sarah was like looking. I was like, Sarah. And what kind of baseball cap? The kind of English like ball. LA Dodgers. Like a, no, like a cricket. Like it was much more like Britishy. Yeah. Oh, you're kind of giving it away. <laughs> okay, and we got, go on. We got past them and Sarah was like, Annabelle, that was Harry. And I'm like, who? She's like, Prince Harry. And I was like, you shut up. How is the one English person in this situation not getting it? I know because I'm so out of it at the moment. I'm like <laughs> looking, you know, I'm not... Well, first of all, I'm not on, like, hot babe patrol for a start. And you probably wouldn't even recognize me if I didn't show up at your exactly. house every week. I'm so out of it. It's like, no, I'm not seeing anyone or anything. I'm just, like, I'm, like, in a floating through the astral plane. If I wasn't waiting on your doorstep every Wednesday, you would just walk right by me. And I wouldn't know where I was or, you know, it's, like, crazy. Okay, yeah. so you're on the beach. You see this hot babe in a baseball cap, which I'll let that one slide, Harry. And your sister says, oh, oh my, my God, God that's I was like, you shut up. And then I turned around and looked and my uh, filter on account of the grief is gone completely. Any filter I had is gone. 
completely <laughs> just letting everyone know oh great you were um, already I know it's so bad like were, I already had a very you were already a trash mouth I know before this bad. happened so we kept walking I looked back and he looked back because probably because I screamed oh you shut up <laughs> exactly as we walked away by him he probably thought he was mad so we kept walking and I was like it wasn't don't be silly it wasn't Prince Harry because we couldn't see it I couldn't see at that point so we finish our walk and then we turn around at the end of the beach and we're coming back and there he is again and it is a hundred percent Prince feckin' Harry. I with a dog was dizzy. As an English person, I was beside myself because I, this is inappropriate. I shouldn't be this close to the prince. I shouldn't be looking at him. So you got down on the ground and you I bowed. See. <laughs> no, you curtsy when you're a woman. For God's sake. I admit, I can imagine you just getting down yeah. on your face. Just with lying your hands. down yeah, with your arms stretched out. And then rolling over on my back in submission. <laughs> just like, sir, prince, sir, I'm so sorry, sir. I. So anyway, we're so close and to him. And he had a dog, right? He had a lovely little doggy. And we're so close to him at this point. It's very uncomfortable for me because genuinely I'm like, we shouldn't be this close to the prince. This is inappropriate. And let's not tell people what kind of dog because we want no, to preserve no, no. his privacy. Very cute. But he was sitting there taking pictures of his doggy, just like a real boy. It was so cute. It was so sweet. It was so sweet. And he was just so happy taking pictures of his little dog. And the dog was posing. And he was throwing a ball for it. And we walked by. And Sarah talked to him. That's why they call us the ugly Americans. Because we have no class. I could have punched her. We're just... No, I could have punched her. I was like, but you do not speak to the prince. (laughs) The American has no concept. Out of your mind. (laughs) She w- and she was so close to him. I was trying to veer away, and she was like, no. "I can imagine you." No, cowering. I'm curling. I'm just like cowering away. Don't look at them in the eye. <laughs> and she goes to him. Well, she's a poser, isn't she? And he like smiled, and then he like laughed, and she was like, "Yeah, she's she's a real poser." And he like nodded his head and was he like bowed? laughing. He bowed to us. He no. bowed. No, he was like, he like nodded his head and he was like smiling and laughing. And I then fainted and had to be airlifted to back to the house <laughs> on account of the fact that I was unconscious. And Sarah was just like, yeah, I spoke to the prince. And I'm like, you're like, you spoke at the prince. She was like, that counts as a conversation, right? And I'm like, I've already texted 10 people. You're like, he didn't say words back? Yeah, he, he nodded you and he smiled. And I said to her, I don't think he heard you. She was like, he definitely heard me. I think he probably did because she said it twice. Right. To make sure she that he, sure heard. he heard. But he was really sweet and really kind and his body language was open. He wasn't like, don't speak to me, peasant. Yeah, I mean, I think that he moved to Santa Barbara so that he could interact be like a normal boy as yeah. a normal person yeah i don't know why i keep saying boy but there is something so boyish about him and so yeah there is. lovely and yeah. he is so handsome in real life obviously we all know he's cute and charming and handsome he's got that little cheeky smile but he's like a babe he's six three he's really got like a really muscly but not like gross bodybuilder his smile is so lovely his eyes are so kind his energy was so nice and I just thought I just felt really happy for him yeah I felt really happy for him that he was able to just go for a walk on the beach and even though we talked to him and and that's mortifying I just thought it must be nice for him to just like be on the beach and like a couple of ladies just sort of treat him like he's a normal the dog really was posing like I can't express it to you enough it was standing still and like holding its ball and like posing just for somebody to interact with him like that. I wonder if that's a nice experience for I him. I think so. I think that makes him feel just like, oh, I'm just living my life yeah. and it's normal. And What a great experience. Oh, it was a thrill of a lifetime. It's just so funny to me that the English person had to be told <laughs> who he was. Well, I just wasn't on earth. I was soaring through outer space. Oh, God, I'd give anything to see you. I bet you were just frozen. No, I was, I'm really, and this may shock people to learn, but 
when there's somebody that's like really famous or I really admire so for me it's going to be a royal because I'm obsessed with the royal family mm-hmm. don't ask me why I've got lots of socialist values it doesn't make any sense I do not understand it I am fiercely protective of the royal family it's mental I'm indoctrinated well also like you were saying last night and my mom did the same thing to me she was convinced that I was going to marry Prince William. Oh, every mom, yeah. every mother is. I feel but like our generation. Saying, yes, every they woman. Were all, my mom was convinced I was married. So your whole life Harry. you're being told that you're going to marry this person. So you're in awe of them and then you see them. And so what are you going to... Faint. You're going to faint. Dizzy, I was holding on to Sarah for dear life. But it's so funny. It really... It, every girl I know, their mother was like was you're obsessed marrying with them. them. My mother cried the day that he married Kate. <laughs> My mother was devastated. She was like, you fucked up. I think Get it, out of my house. I think it was because, I mean, to say that is unthinkable. To And mothers all over Britain did it as well. But because Diana was the princess of the people and she broke that barrier down between the royal family. All of a sudden, everybody had a chance. It was like they're humans and it was like she's raising her sons to be human beings not these like automaton curtsy bow royals so all of a sudden we're all in with a chance to marry the prince yeah good for megan she secured the bag yeah go girl Um, love you yeah actress representing (laughs) i love actress i love megan American actress. Yeah, no, she and she's she did well. She had so much stacked against her in that situation, and I think she did really well. I feel really proud of them for having the strength to walk away because that is, I mean, in England, it's like the fact that that family was never meant to be the royal family. So after we've already had one abdication of that size, and it traumatized everyone in the country and the royal family, for them to have the balls to... It's not abdicating, but it is in a way, you know, and it's that must have been really scary yeah. and really just terrifying. Yeah, I wonder if he's on speaking terms with his brother because of it. I hope so. It would be so sad. Yeah. It would just, it's just not worth it. It just isn't worth it. It's like, just not fucking worth it. He's never going to be the king. Right. Why can't he just go and live his life? Right. You know? But anyways, um, my mom's never been so disappointed with me in my whole life as she was the day that William married Kate. <laughs> they were up at six a.m. all over the world. What was I, people here got up at whatever it was mm. four a.m. or whatever to watch the live wedding? Mm. I don't think we're going to see another one like that. I really don't. No, I can't imagine who it I would be. I don't think there'll be. Well, because I don't think Charles is going to be king. I think he will abdicate. And they've been, it seems like they're prepping Kate and Wills to be the king. It does, yeah. So by the time those little kids are of age and be take long gone. Throne, <laughs> or even get married. We'll be pushing our great-grandchildren yeah, on them. Yeah. I don't think it will be acceptable anymore to have those big weddings and do all of that stuff. Mm. And I think maybe they won't want to. I don't know. Well, I just think that's so thrilling that you ran, ran into him. It really was a thrill. Things haven't been thrilling, as I'm yeah, sure you Well, I was just going to say because it is wild. It's Sometimes I feel like I'm on like an acid trip with what I'm going through, especially because obviously the guys died just before Christmas. They died on Thanksgiving. So the whole holiday season, and I didn't realize it until afterwards, it was a living nightmare. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was shrooming the entire time because there are all these lights and Christmas music and jolliness and kids excited and like Christmas decorations everywhere. And I would go for my walks and like everyone's houses were lit up and the lights were so bright. It was like, ah, my eyes. And, and I was feeling so raw and so sensitive and that intensity of the holidays in a way, I'm glad that we got through the holidays so quickly in this process because I would have hated to get nine months into this and then have to feeling face that. stronger and then just be taken out by Christmas and all of that. And New Year's Eve, which you said was really Yeah, New Year's too. Eve was like very important for us. Some of our first like really deep bonding experiences were on the, our first New Year's Eve together and 
you know, we had a routine and we have both always hated New Year's Eve and we just decided that first year that we were dating, like, fuck it, like, let's go and get a hotel and just do that for New Year's Eve. And that became our tradition. And it was a really lovely way for us at the end of the year and the beginning of the new year to focus on each other, be together, no noise, no parties, no any, you know, just us. Yeah. And we had lovely conversations, talking about the new year, reminiscing on the year that's passing, all of that. And just being in robes and in the cozy bed and just spending time, you know, and it was really important for us every year to do that. And to so, got through all that so right to get away. through all of that, it was, I didn't realize until I would say January the 2nd that I just had the worst experience of my life. Like it was, I was hanging on for dear life. I was completely hopeless, completely broken. I was on my last thread. I woke up on January the 2nd, the weight had lifted. But what's crazy is like, I didn't realize when I was in it, how bad and hard it was, which is something really important to note, I think, because last week we kind of touched on the loss of hope that you feel. And I think that's a really big part of grief. I don't know why this whole process, I keep talking about grief being like birth. I haven't given birth. You know, I don't know what giving birth is like. But when you give birth, it's like people don't tell you that you have to birth the baby and then you have to birth the afterbirth. You do it twice. (laughs) There's the loss, the death of the person, their physical absence. And then what comes next is the loss of hope. And that's a whole nother death again. And that's something that I think that we should teach people about, talk about, include in the conversation, be something that, you know, we expect. It's the hope of the future, the possibility, what could have been, what might have been. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to fix that one problem that we had together? Where are we going to, you know, it's that hope for the future, that light that guides us through life. We are hopeful creatures, human beings. Wow, that makes me think of the closest thing that I've gone through to that was that I had an abortion. Mm. And I didn't think about it before, but that's exactly what the process was. It was first was the loss mm-hmm. of the kid and what you had done, what I had done. And that was like the death. And then came the, not regret. I never regretted it because I knew why I yeah. had made that decision. But yeah. there was a loss of the future and what could have yeah. been and and all that. Yeah. And that lasts a long time because it's lasted years for me yeah, now. Yeah, it, it does. I remember I, I mean, while I've, I've never had an abortion, so I can't say that I understand what that experience was like for you. You know, I've had a similar kind of loss like that. And a friend of mine at the same time got pregnant around the same time. So her children, her first child is the age that my child would be no yeah if I see a kid that's the age that my kid would have been it triggers me so deeply yeah I mean I don't I'm not triggered by it I'm it's more like a wave of pain a little bit you know and it's and it is that hope it's that imagination world maybe it's rose-colored glasses you know it's it's not we don't know what could have been. We, we don't know. Yeah. But the loss of the hope is a very, very painful second sort of stage of grief. And yeah. I think in the diagrams about grief, it's described as hopelessness. I don't think it should be described as hopelessness because I think hopelessness is something completely different. Hopelessness is what I was feeling over the holiday period when I was like, I can't live. There's nothing for me. That is very different than the loss of hope for the future between you and the person that you've lost. Hmm. Even though it's the same words, it's a different experience. Hopelessness and the loss of hope, I think, are two different things. Is that making any sense? Yes. It's something that's hard to understand until you feel it. Okay, yeah, maybe that's what it is, yeah. And then you can feel the difference, I think. I see what you're saying, and I'm trying to think of times when I have felt one or the other and to feel the difference, and I I vaguely get it. And when it hits me again in my life, I'll go, oh, 
I yeah. feel that. I feel that fully now. Yeah. Maybe somebody understands what yeah. I you know, like I don't, I think it is one of those things and there are there have been a number of things like that. For instance, I've never felt loneliness like I felt now as we were saying last week. You said, you know, very clearly, loneliness is not about being alone. Well, I knew that in a I've read it in a bloody self-help book yeah, or I've seen some yeah, shit yeah. on Instagram like a meme that's like oh no that's like a real thing yeah and until you've experienced it you kind of like know that it's a thing and you're like I guess it's a thing people feel for me another big thing like that is I've never had a problem with vulnerability I don't find vulnerability hard I never have I have never been able to relate to this like cult of people being like oh you're so strong to be vulnerable vulnerability is hard and all that stuff I'm for me, that's just been, like, a given of life since the beginning. Like, well, yeah, it's fucking hard, but you just do it. Like, you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth. Being vulnerable is part of life. We don't need to have, like, a big conversation about it. Maybe I'm a bitch for saying that. But, <laughs> but in the last two months, I have felt true vulnerability as though I am, like, a walking open nerve. I've been in situations with friends, people I love, where I have felt... You know, at the beginning of this, I was so weak physically, mentally. I was very vulnerable, very vulnerable. You could really take advantage of somebody when they're in that state. And if there are people without loved ones around them, protecting them or friends, it really woke me up to how older people are taken advantage of. Oh, God. How mentally ill people are taken advantage of. Because you could have really done anything to me at that time you could have taken anything from me you could have drained my bank account Sarah was said to me in those beginning stages like there was a really and what made me realize it was the moment I had with her she was giving me some food I was sitting on her couch and I think she was handing me food or something and it hit her really hard all of a sudden and she like recoiled and she realized how vulnerable I was and she just said it scares me how vulnerable you are right now and she's like I could take advantage of you right now. And I could see it. It ignited something in her of like, she's like a mama bear. She knew she needed to protect me and love me and take care of me. But something else kicked into gear in that moment where she was like, oh, Annabelle is very, very vulnerable. And I have never experienced that in my life. Mm. Nothing was working. I'm not thinking straight. I'm not eating. I'm barely drinking. I'm not sleeping. I don't know what's coming and going. I'm not here. And that's something that I will really be looking out for in the future if there are mm-hmm. people around me who are vulnerable in the, times like this. The elderly being vulnerable and children, I mean, anybody. I have this thing in life, and it's happened to me since I was little. When I was little, I would get really hit really hard by people's vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand what was yeah. happening. So I would walk by somebody and I would just start crying and I'd get this wave of what they were feeling. And so over time, I learned to harden myself Mm. to that. And I think Mm. this might be pretty common, but we don't realize that it happens. And as an adult, I hardened myself so much to it that I became numb Mm. to other people's vulnerability in a way. And I did that to myself on purpose it was un- it was unconscious. Of course, I think we all do it but, as we get older. But the child was too overwhelmed. Yeah. And then the other thing that you do is you mistake it for your feelings. Mm. So you take on this energy from other people and then you think it's coming from you. Mm. Just now in my life, I'm understanding how to soften myself again, mm. but at the same time put in boundaries where okay, this grief or sadness or fear that I'm feeling right now doesn't belong to me. Mm. It's yours. So I need to take it out of me and it belongs with you. I can be here with Mm. you. And being with you has been a really interesting exercise that way. Yes. I had to catch myself last night where I'm just going into this like hopelessness Mm -hmm. that we're talking about. And I had to pull myself back and go, Mm. whoa, 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 whoa. That belongs to Annabelle. Not but not that you're Yay. feeling that way. No, absolutely. I totally understand what you're saying. But we take on each other's I would say stuff. Yeah. What you're describing is 
it's going to make you laugh when I say this word because of the acting thing that you did last week. You are describing empathy. I wasn't going to use the word. It's empathy. Okay? <laughs> I know. I and know it is. That. I'm not going to sit here and go, I'm an empath. Yeah. People. Everyone is. Everyone is an empath. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, except for narcissists, like about, you know, people right, who, right. who like empathy. Pathologically like empathy. Yeah. So true empathy is that place that you are now in where you've realized this is not mine and I need to put it outside of myself and hold this person in their pain, in their grief and whatever it is, but not absorb it into myself. Right. It's very, very useful, juvenile energy to say, I'm an empath. I'm just so overwhelmed by the energy. I, the child in you was reacting like that because the child doesn't have the tools to understand That's the feeling right. of empathy. And so many people in this world say, oh, I'm an empath. And they take on other people's stuff. With no boundaries. With no boundaries. And it's dysfunctional. It's and then it very dysfunctional. becomes about them. Exactly. And guess what? That's not And we empathy. know several people that are doing that right now in your life. It's not empathy. No, it's not empathy. And it's... It's attention seeking. But most people don't know the difference between those two things. And it's very, very important. It's something that I learned in my 20s through therapy. Me absorbing all of the pain of the world is victim. Me being a victim. Absolutely. And me making things about me that aren't about me. That's right. And where I mostly did it when I was little was with my father. Yeah. I took on... His pain. His pain. And that is one of the traits of having an alcoholic in Mm -hmm. the family. That's why they say it's a family disease. Yeah. Because everyone around that addict takes on that pain Mm -hmm. and makes it their own. And then you go repeating and it. everyone's the victim. Everyone is. And then you're just play, and you're repeating playing it out in this your soap opera and create recreating it in Going your relationships. Going relationships, friendships, everything, yep. you know. And that's such an important thing for you to say because same, you know, my dad had his problems and with drinking and other things. and It was always, what did I do to cause this? Or how can I make it better? Not and even how can what, I fix for it? For me, it wasn't, what did I do to cause it? It's like, I will do anything to make this better, including I'll absorb your pain yeah. into my body and it. live Give it, it to for me. you. Yeah. Give it to me. If that's going to fix this and make us all happy again, I'll, I'll take, take it. it. Yeah. And that's what you become as an adult. That's what I've walked into my adulthood doing. And you just... With and you, everyone yeah. around me is, give it to me. I'll take it. I can handle it. Well, no, you can't. As a kid, I was always described as a ray of sunshine. Me too. And I... The strong one began to really really resent it as I got older because oh you know she lightens up any room that she walks into she's such a lovely sweet girl she's so she's so funny she says I was doing that because I just wanted everyone to be okay me too so I was singing and dancing and being silly and being a ray of sunshine and all of those things but there was a lot of pain in it I mean you've seen the pictures of me as a child they shocked you to your core because of the look on my face and my eyes and like you know I had you have a look in your eye that says please help me yeah (laughs) please somebody save me or just somebody explain all of this to me somebody yeah like just do something yeah somebody do something (laughs) exactly (laughs) oh Annabelle I just want to take that little girl I know in my arms not take her pain away (laughs) Explain things to her. And I wish I could go back to my younger self and say, you don't have to do this. You can. You can do yeah, that. Yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. You can. It's a practice. And, and, I, and I am working on that now. I have a picture. I have a photo booth picture of myself at an age where I feel that a lot of these habits happening. began to happen. Yeah. I was around three or four. A lot of these habits started happening. And... I have photo booth picture of myself on my mirror yeah. that I look at every day. Yeah. To tell her. Yep. And yeah. to remind myself to look after her. Because yes. she's still hurting. Yes. And she needs to know. And it's been a big thing through this grief. And I haven't let her down once during this grief. I've held her and loved her and taken care of her and shielded her from the pain of this. It's so important that we take care of the child in us because they are still there they're there forever that's why people describe old people as naughty oh he's like a naughty boy again he's like 
But guess what? It's never gone away. It's always been there. That's why men have a midlife crisis. It's the kid in you just swirling, looking for somebody. Somebody do something. (laughs) And it's so, I think it's such an important practice to continue loving that child. I'm going to work on that this week. I'm going to take a picture of myself at the age when I was the most confused Mm. and doing this the most and put it next to my bed and focus on that this week. And love her. Tell her her. you love her. Imagine holding her, Mm -hmm. hugging her, stroking her hair, kissing her head, telling her it's going to be okay. And when something bad happens or an argument happens or something stressful happens, I take the little girl and I physically move her behind me. And I say to her, this is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. We're okay. Yeah. The picture really helps. Yeah. It's sad at first and you're going to look at that picture at first. It's going to probably make you teary. And it's going to make you sad. But as the days go by... Yeah, it happens a lot. Like, I'm sitting here acting like I've never heard of this kind of thing before where you work with that inner child. But I do... I actually do it a lot. But it's good for the reminder just because we're talking about it. And I feel that I am softening up to the vulnerability in a healthy way now. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about. It's happening to me more and more. I'll be on the street and I'll be with Will. And I'll pass someone. It can hit me anywhere. Mm. In a restaurant. We'll be sitting in a restaurant. It happened in England recently. We were in a restaurant, crowded restaurant. This man was sitting close to me. And Will knows when it's happening because I just start going, oh, oh, God, oh, God, Mm. oh, God, oh, God. And he goes, oh, it's happening. And and he goes, where? (laughs) I say, you know, six o'clock or whatever. And this man wasn't doing anything yeah. Nothing. Just existing. Yep. He wasn't eating alone. He was with other people. But something mm. hit me so hard about this man and I burst out crying. Mm. Yeah. But now I can handle it yeah. as an adult. I understand yeah. what it is and that it has nothing to do with me. You just said something so interesting. You said, now I can handle it as an adult. You were an adult when that happened. But you're identifying that in that moment... That was the child crying in the restaurant. Yeah. Your reaction to that man was the child in you. That is exactly the process. It's what you just said is perfect. Well, I was going to say about your experience since Ryan and Max died, not to find a silver lining on it because please, never gonna say, I'm never mm. going to say that to you, but mm. we are finding out that experiences are the true gift Mm. as much as they suck yeah we've all lost we've Mm. all lost someone we we love we've all all lost someone we love we've all fallen in love Mm. there are no words like we keep saying until Mm. you have that experience and you have that feeling inside of you and it belongs to you now Mm. i'm sorry but that's a gift that you cannot explain to someone Mm. Until you are given it. I I can hear what you're saying. It doesn't feel like a gift. I'm not saying that to you right now. I'm just supposing in general. Yeah, yeah. And I totally get it. And it's, I understand what you're saying. I understand what's at the root of what you're saying. I think that it's, like we were saying at dinner last night, I feel that my life ended that night. I died that night. And I know that's a very extreme and strong thing to say. Is that why you've been asking me to call you Amy since then? <laughs> no, that's just a sexual fetish. Um, <laughs> no, I fucking died. Like, I, I can't say it any more flowery. The world I lived in died. Everything went black and white. And... About 24 hours later, I regained consciousness. And this new person. And I was not, I was somebody new. This new person started to develop. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons I found New Year's Eve so tricky. Because, and that's why I felt like I was like tripping out. Because it meant nothing to me anymore. My new year, my new life started on Thanksgiving. Yeah. My friend Jared had open heart surgery and almost died. And he says that he died 
Mm. and a new man Mm. stepped in as if a new spirit Mm. inhabited his body Mm. and his personality is different. Wow. So people do experience this. Yeah. I didn't feel like a woman before. I felt like a girl. And I feel like a woman now. I feel... You are much, much different. So different. I f- see everything differently. The way you hold yourself is different. The way you speak is different. The conversations, obviously, the conversations you have are different. I just think back to last summer and the way you conducted yourself was a different... It was much more girlish. Mm. And there was nothing wrong with that. It's just... No. It's a different person. Yeah. That person is gone. And I don't feel sad about it. I feel sad because I feel that there's, I've lost an innocence that was in me. There is a strength in me now that frightens me. And as I was saying to you last night, the expectations I now have for myself are so high. The expectations I have for other people are so high because I have fought every day to stay alive since they died and some days it has been a war as we've said and I have felt I was going to lose when you fought that hard for yourself and lost so much you you don't have any tolerance for bullshit no tolerance for bullshit the filter's gone but also you're not scared of things anymore I'm not scared of failing anymore I'm not scared of getting it wrong anymore. I'm not scared of all of the things that scared me before don't scare me anymore because I don't have the option because this is my life now. When you face death like that and you fucking wrestle around with it on the floor and it chokes you out (laughs) and you get it off somehow, what else is there to be scared of? Speaking of wrestling around, can we talk about how we sleep together? <laughs> and I wake up holding your face in my hands. I love that that's the segue. <laughs> Think about wrestling around, you're just like, oh yeah. We're gonna leave you with this. <laughs> Every time Annabelle and I sleep together on our Wednesdays, there's a lot of sleep talking and a lot of Touching, touching, (laughs) touching going on. I woke up and Lucy was holding my head like it was a bowling ball. I wouldn't say that. I'd say I was gently... Yeah, you No, no. Fingers were up my nose and your thumb was in my mouth. I was gently cradling your face. Yeah, it was quite a grip though. (laughs) It was. The weirdest thing about it is that I woke up, looked at you holding my face and I just thought, oh, right then. (laughs) went back to sleep didn't even take your hands off on i just went okay then were my eyes open (laughs) no it was as though your eyes were open you were gazing into my eyes with your closed eyes and i just thought well this is the most action i'm gonna get so just take it may as well just take what i can get just be held well i will have you know (laughs) that i was accosted last night by your sleep talking (laughs) accusing me of things i felt very Attacked. Yes. <laughs> I was verbally attacked in my sleep. So this is where we are. Yeah. What are you gonna do? I don't know. Have another day. Just <laughs> get through another fucking day. Just get through. First I'm gonna have another cup of tea. Okay. You and me are gonna have another chat. We'll probably Oh god. Have a laugh, have a cry. Yeah. Drink some water get on with the day well one thing's for sure we'll see you all next week yeah love you bye